Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of The Background Scoop. I'm your host, DJ Stavropoulos, part-time background actor here in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks so much for tuning in. This episode is chock full of more stories of my life on set over the past month and what I've learned. I did the game Ordinary Joe, The Walking Dead, The Wonder Years, and Cancelled on the Staircase. If you haven't heard, Netflix released their most expensive movie ever, Red Notice, at theaters on Friday, November 5th, and streaming on Netflix a week later. I've watched it twice already. I am impressed beyond belief at how well this came out and honestly feel that it's an instant classic. I plan to buy several copies and give them as Christmas gifts. That is, if it's out on DVD in time. The one very strange thing is that after waiting a year, part of you has moved on so far that you don't even care. But then when you watch it, it brings you right back to those glorious nine weeks we spent holed up in the Crown Plaza, Peachtree City on Route 74. I've already heard rumors that there is discussion about making two more of these at the same time. That would be grand, as usual. Listen and enjoy yourselves as you live vicariously through my bumbling background stints. I'll get started after the break. It's Tuesday, October 27th, 2021. I worked on the TV show, The Game, for the first time today as an uppity parent for students at a private school. They didn't give us children, but just asked us to walk around on an indoor tennis court. I met a really interesting woman named Terry who has three children and lives in Gwinnett County. She was freezing because she's originally from Florida. We talked about her three kids and raising children and other random things. She thought I was straight because when I told her I was getting divorced, she subsequently referred to my wife and suggested perhaps that instead of agreeing to a settlement, I should pay my wife to carry a baby for me. Even after I mentioned surrogacy, she didn't quite get it. I thought the only people who pay $150,000 to have a kid are gay couples. Maybe not. Maybe straight couples who can't conceive. I guess that's true. She also showed me a picture of her boxer. She had one of those chair ramps they install for old people who cannot walk up and down the stairs, built and installed for her dog. It cost $2,000. I asked her to text me her contractor's information and she mentioned the YouTube video that he got the idea from, but I've forgotten it already. Tad, this guy who looks very much like Wolverine and whom I worked with on the Wonder Years last week, was also there. We talked today, and he and another woman I was throupled with are anti-vaxxers. They both got the vaccination, but verbalized that they were against it. That's when I stopped listening. We finished early at about 2.15 p.m., but I refrained from getting sugar out of boarding since I'm doing Ordinary Joe tomorrow and I don't know the call time for it. I brought three suits as usual and what I was wearing was fine. A suit without the jacket, but an argyle sweater instead. I learned that this show has nothing to do with the 1980s movie starring Michael Douglas. Instead, it's a reboot of an early 2000s show, but it's not on on IMDb, so I don't know anything more about it. Like much of the work I do, it has very little meaning because I don't know what it's about. We sit around watching young girls play tennis somewhere up in Gwinnett County. Be very careful up there on Jimmy Carter Boulevard. It's one of these weird helix things where you end up on the wrong side of the road. When I went to leave, I was stuck in two right lanes 
that forced me onto 85 North when I wanted to go south. I had to drive a mile, take the next exit, turn left, and then pick up 85 South on the right instead of the left. Traffic was awful all around today. I am not used to being on 285 or 85 during rush hour. Things are back to normal here in Atlanta. Bad traffic. Today is Thursday, October 28th, 2021. I filmed Ordinary Joe yesterday for the second time. Last time it was Music Joe, this time it was Cop Joe. We filmed on set at Stageworks, a small restaurant scene to be part of the Thanksgiving episode, which I believe is episode 10, but don't quote me. In it, Jenny and her husband have a very serious conversation with Joe. I'm at the front table with two women and the first shot has the camera filming between us. But four hours after arriving, and only two shots of the scene, we were all sent home due to a COVID issue. They may call us back on Friday, but no one knows. In the meantime, Central pinged me for five other things. Three on the Wonder Years as a teacher, Bar Mitzvah guest, and Brad's dad, and then Lily and Monarch. I can't do any of these due to filming Monday on the staircase, but I finally did say I was available to be Brad's dad because that would be a great opportunity. And I'd pretty much cancel anything to do that job. Here's something that's never happened before. I keep saying how different it is when you work on a great show that you watch. Unlike a 30-minute sitcom like The Wonder Years where every episode is self-contained, a rich and multi-layered drama like Ordinary Joe has all kinds of twists and turns. And you're left wondering what's going to happen next. Well, I know what's going to happen next, but I can't tell you. Montana gave us a vague brief overview of the scene. She didn't tell us who was in it, just that it was a serious conversation in a restaurant. So they placed us and me and two women were at the first table with the three principals sitting at a table behind us. I looked at the stand-ins and tried to guess who they represented. One woman and two men. Clearly, Cop Jen is in the scene, but who else? Then they called a first-team rehearsal, and I spotted Elizabeth Lale, the actress who plays Jenny Banks, and Joe Carroll, the actor who plays Ray, her husband, walking by. So that answered my question. Just add Cop Joe to the scene. At one point, someone yelled for a rubber taser, and I saw a fake gun thrown across the floor and immediately wondered and hoped it was not real, given the recent tragedy with Alec Baldwin. Long story short, the two women at my table don't watch the show, so they could have cared less, but it was impossible to not hear the dialogue when we filmed. I suddenly had this top-secret information that I could not share with anyone. It was exciting but also crazy to think that I could get into some real serious trouble if I leaked this and never ever work in this town again. What if I called the National Enquirer and asked for $10,000 in exchange for this? Is that just crazy? Probably. I mean, it's pretty obvious if you watch the show that this is clearly something that will eventually happen. It's not like someone shooting J.R. Ewing on Dallas and being both surprised and left hanging until the next season starts. If you don't know what I'm talking about, so sorry, too bad, go Google it. When we wrapped, Montana gave us a speech that basically said, wardrobe is going to ask you to leave your own clothes here for the reshoot, but if you're not comfortable doing that, you do not have to. Just a heads up. So I get to wardrobe, 
to give them their tie back and they immediately begin to tell me almost the complete opposite. I can hear them saying that I have to leave my personal clothes there, which makes no sense. What if I'm not even coming back? But then the woman finishes her sentence and what she is saying is the exact opposite. Under no circumstances can we leave any of our personal clothing with them. That makes more sense. I would never leave my stuff there. I had The Walking Dead ask me to do this in the summer and I said no. There's no reason for it. If you want me to come back with the same clothing I wore today, I am perfectly capable of remembering what I was wearing and coming back with it. We're not children. I don't really think I can swing going back tomorrow. I've already worked two days this week. I honestly think they have to start over from scratch because if they have different people, they can't mix and match footage of the scene. It just won't make sense. Scratch that. They texted me and I agreed to go back tomorrow. Why? It's so easy. I know the scene. I know exactly what I'm wearing. So no need to drag a suitcase there again. It should be a piece of cake. Plus, I may get some more top secret information that I'll have to bottle up inside for the next four weeks. I just can't wait. Okay, I just finished recording this segment. It's 6.28 p.m. I rushed out for a COVID test at 3, and they just emailed and texted us all to say, sorry, tomorrow's shoot has been canceled. If you're not okay with frenzied last-minute changes like this, then maybe this job is not for you. I'm used to it, and I actually didn't turn down anything else for tomorrow, so it's not as if I'm missing out on something I could have done instead. It's Friday, October 29th, 2021. This isn't a full segment, but I just couldn't wait to break the news. Hannah from Central Casting just called to say that the director wants me to play Brad's father on The Wonder Years. Woohoo! When they say director, I assume they mean Fred Savage, although he does not direct every episode. So I'm actually not sure who made this decision. This is nothing short of hilarious. We film Wednesday and Thursday this week. I'll have a lot more to tell later this week. The testing on Monday may hose my staircase filming, but as I've already said, I may have to cancel that because this is a much better opportunity. Ta-ta for now. It's Sunday, October 31st, 2021. Happy Halloween. Again, this is not another full segment, but what I expected to happen just happened. I had a potential conflict tomorrow between filming the staircase and testing for the Wonder Years between 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. The staircase call time email came in yesterday, 4.18 a.m. Are they crazy? No indication in the job posting that it might be super early. Technically, it's conceivable that I could work that job for 12 hours, basically 4 a.m. to 4 p.m., 
and then do my one to years testing. But there's no guarantee I'd be out in time, so that's too risky. Plus, getting up at 3 a.m. would throw my schedule off for days. So I canceled, and I'm sure they'll get a number of these. Since there was a planned callback in mid-November, I'll actually be losing out on two days of filming and four days of testing, which is basically $312. I think I've canceled on them for the last two things they booked me on, so we'll see if they somehow track this and will not be picking me for anything going forward. You never know unless the casting company reaches out to let you know that you're on their blacklist. Some are super desperate for people and just let this slide. We shall see. Wish me luck playing a Jewish father at my son's bar mitzvah. L'chaim! Today is Friday, November 5th, 2021. The Atlanta Braves won the World Series earlier this week, so there was a big parade today and many schools were closed, just like a snow day. I'm calling this segment Jewish for a day because I was. Actually, I was a Jewish dad at my son's bar mitzvah for the past two days. And like many of these background experiences, I learned something new every time. Life is one big series of people telling stories to each other, so here's mine for today. And there are 10. 1. Normally background holding is a huge tent somewhere and everyone gathered around sitting in one space. You can see in a second who is there, who's sitting where, and who's talking to whom, but sometimes the space isn't big enough for everyone and or it's unsafe for that many people to be congregating in this COVID world. So they break you out into smaller rooms. That happened to us since holding was in a school attached to the temple. Jessica from Health and Safety put the kibosh on all of us and made us move to multiple rooms. It was totally random and only six people were allowed in each. I ended up picking the last room on the left where seven of us landed. I already knew Valerie and David, but got to meet four other fascinating people, Virginia, Andrew, Greg, and a woman whose name I never got. We had the most chemistry I have ever experienced on a background job, ever. We spent hours telling stories to each other and pondering the mysteries of the BG world. The unnamed woman was very quiet and disappeared on day two. I was wondering on that day if people would return to the same rooms or decide to try something and someone new. Our room was exactly the same with just her missing. But another random guy showed up and sat in her chair and said absolutely nothing to us all day long. We even made a joke while he was sitting there about the quote, quiet chair, unquote, he was sitting in as if the chair itself had the power to silence whomever sat in it. The moral? I know it's completely random, but if you pick the right room with the right people, it can make all the difference in the world. It's like when you're at the beach and you have to pick a spot for your blanket. You secretly assess the neighbors you'll have before settling down. And in some cases, if their baby is too loud or their dog barks or their kid keeps kicking sand on you, you may have to have the guts to pack up and move 30 minutes later while pretending that you're leaving for the day when you're really just relocating. Point two, ribbing other people can be fun as long as nobody gets hurt. We began joking about how our circle felt like an AA meeting. We called it VG Anonymous. And when people entered the room, we forced them to introduce themselves to our little therapy session. My storytelling was going really well, but at one point, 
I forgot the ending of the story I was telling and had to stop and get someone from another room to finish the story because it had actually happened to her. This was hilarious and prompted a lot of jokes, as in, don't open your mouth and tell a story if you don't know how it ends. I also kept saying, quote, just background, unquote, to which David began chiding me to not say that because it devalues who we are and what we do. Three, some people can be really rude. Case in point, this Tad person I've worked with twice before said some really inappropriate things to two women I met, and then told me all about it. He wasn't even in their room. He was just wandering around talking to people, and in some cases, not filtering whatever came out of his mouth. He even wandered into our room at one point, but quickly left instead of joining our conversation or insulting any of us. Point four, this one is short. I heard a guy named James telling a PA on the second day that her system was great. When people arrived, she would assess the backlog at each of the three areas, wardrobe, hair, and makeup, and determine where it made sense to send that person. Normally, it's a fixed order. However, there were no changing tents on day one when I arrived, so many of us had to be led one by one to a trailer to change. And on day two, it was raining, so we were changing in tents outside on wet grass with no chairs or places to hang anything. Have you ever had to balance yourself and everything in your hands while trying to change and not get your feet wet or drop anything? Practice this at home to see what it's like with a full outfit in your left hand so you can see what it's like. You can't put anything down on the floor and you can't drop anything either. Your goal is to change out of what you're wearing and into what's in your hands. More on this after the break. Welcome back to Jewish for a Day, part two. Point five, being director selected may sound wonderful and important, but it really doesn't mean anything. I was supposedly director selected to be Brad's dad at his bar mitzvah. Any normal person would assume that I'd spent some time with my kid, either in the synagogue or the reception following or something, but no such luck. His mother and I were never anywhere near little Brad. I walked in there thinking I might thank Fred Savage for picking me, to which he would have probably asked, who the hell are you? Point six. Speaking of Fred, he eats a lot of the prop food, which I've never seen a director do, but this is probably because he's too busy to stop for lunch. He was picking things off the buffet table and dessert table here and there, and I kept thinking, you are never supposed to eat the prop food because you don't know how long it's been sitting there. I guess he must have known it was made fresh that day, or he's just a starving risk taker. Don't tell anyone, but since my wife and I were stuck at the dessert table for hours, deciding what cookie each one of us should get, I eventually stole the one I had manhandled a thousand times. It's a small rectangle with white icing on the top, like a Pop-Tart. But instead of sprinkles, it has a beautiful blue Jewish star of David. It broke into three pieces in my knapsack on the way home. I ate a small piece and it wasn't that good, so I threw it away. No offense to the baker. Point seven. When you ask a PA to solve a problem, they will typically immediately say, quote, let me find out for you or let me get back to you on that, unquote. And then they disappear forever. This time we watched Jordan so do sorry do something completely different. Valerie had a shoe issue and had 
to come to set while wardrobe worked on her heels, but the shoes never arrived. So Jordan called someone on the phone right in front of us and put them on speaker so we could hear exactly what was going on and witness the resolution in progress. It made a huge difference. We never did get a heater in our room though, and Valerie had other bad things happen to her. Her earring fell off into her maple syrup. And worse, on day one, a hangry hair woman took her anger out on her as she pulled and teased her hair and nearly burned her ear with a curling iron. Point eight, I went to undergrad at Syracuse, which has a lot of Jewish students from New Jersey and Long Island. It left a somewhat skewed view in my head, which my wife for the day quickly corrected. Angela was actually married to a Jewish man for 20 years, and so the behavior I witnessed had more to do with 20-year-olds from wealthy families than anything resembling Jewishness. Point nine, wearing a yarmulke is okay as long as the pins keep it in place, but wearing a talus is a pain in the ass. It falls off your shoulders easily and gets messed up when you sit down, and you cannot wear it into the men's room. And finally, point 10. Learning the Hora, a traditional Jewish dance, is quite easy if you're a quick learner and like to dance. Jordan, one of the PAs, ran frantically through the room asking if anyone knew how to do this. And then he somehow rounded up two older Jewish women who were experts and came to teach us all of this in 90 seconds. They then appeared in the scene with us on the dance floor. We danced <laughs> to Nava Nagila, which I've heard a million times as I also worked at a predominantly Jewish country club in the summer while in college. It was called Crestview Country Club in Agawam, Massachusetts. That's a portmanteau of Agatha and Wigwam. Our circle of dancers was too crowded, so the AD announced that he was going to have to remove some people. He counted to seven and landed on me. Luckily, I had written with a Sharpie on my KN95 mask that I was, quote, Brad's dad slash DJ. Unquote. And he quickly said I had to stay because I was Brad's dad, as if that really mattered. No one except him and some wardrobe and makeup people knew that. Even little Brad had no idea that I was his dad. Anyway, these four younger guys magically appeared on the dance floor to lift Brad as he sat in the chair. They were not background. I couldn't tell but assumed they were stunt guys, although they looked extremely Jewish. So I thought, did they come from the same last minute pool as the dance teachers, or were they actually Jewish stunt guys specifically hired for this? I'll never know. There was no stunt Brad, so this was really dangerous and a stupid thing to do. If he had fallen off that chair, it would have been horrible. And as his father, I would have sued someone for negligence. In sum, as I've said before, living vicariously through your background gigs can really open up your world. I will never be a Jewish father, and I'll never host a bar mitzvah for my son. But after two days on this show, I know exactly what it feels like to do that. I can't name names, but it's a reboot of an 80s show that now airs on ABC on Wednesday nights. And I inadvertently mentioned the director, so I'm sure you'll figure out what it is I'm talking about. It's Wednesday, November 10th, 2021. I was back on Ordinary Joe yesterday. It was a reattempt to film the restaurant scene that we tried to film two weeks ago, but it got shut down due to COVID. So as I mentioned in an earlier part of this episode, they called us back that Friday 
and then canceled it late Thursday night. So it never happened. So anyway, here we are two weeks later. Go in, 12 o'clock call time, and lo and behold, four hours later, they send us home again. Uh, kind of ridiculous when Montana led us over to the sound stage. As soon as we walked in, I knew something was different. My friend Carrie from Red Notice was there, whom I haven't seen in over a year. And I said, that's the little restaurant, but it looks smaller and it's in a different place on the soundstage and the chairs are different and the wallpaper is different. So Montana comes over maybe an hour later after she takes us all the way back to Crafty for a Crafty run and says, I just got word that there's something wrong with the set and we're not filming the scene today, so you're all wrapped. So easy day, easy peasy. Uh, That's the bad news. The good news is I did get to see both Joe and Joe's mom uh, on my way to the restroom earlier before this happened. um, Joe's mom came walking by in a bathrobe and I just kind of looked at her and I was like, okay, that's Joe's mom, but because she's not in character, I don't know if that's Cop Joe's mom or Nurse Joe's mom or Music Joe's mom. I, I don't really know which one she is. And then about an hour later, I went over to Crafty and who's there but Joe himself? And just like her, he wasn't he wasn't dressed up like a nurse or a cop or a rock star. He was just in jeans and a plaid shirt. So I'm like, I don't know which Joe this is. So uh, it was kind of funny, but I guess I guess it was just the actor who plays Joe. Anyway, uh, back on Ordinary Joe tomorrow for a different scene. It's a football game. I think they're filming it downtown. I just got the call time. It's way, way, way late, three o'clock. I'm supposed to play the national anthem coordinator, the person who walks somebody out to the field and that person sings the national anthem. That's what I was booked for, but when I got the testing email, It said press, which didn't make any sense to me. So hopefully I still have that role because that should be pretty exciting and I should be very well seen. Also, I finally rented Respect, which came out ages ago, but I had to wait till it showed up on Redbox as a rental. And I literally had to drive like six miles, like none of the Redboxes near me had it. So I got it and watched it. And I do clearly appear in the boardroom scene, standing behind the tour manager, a very stern look on my face in glasses it's kind of hilarious so I made a couple Instagram reels about it so that's that for my day I will check in again once I have filmed Ordinary Joe tomorrow and then I'm back on uh, The Walking Dead for four days Friday and three days next week until then see ya Saturday, November 13th, 2021. Red Notice was officially released on Netflix yesterday, so I watched it. I am seen multiple times in the first 15 minutes, but after that, I was able to sit down and enjoy the movie until the very end, where I appear again at the Louvre with my friend Rowella, wandering around outside as the three protagonists plot their next move. This is a great setup for a sequel, but I guess we'll see. Overall, I was very impressed with the final 
product, it's very James Bondish. They didn't use any of the body double work I did for Soto Voce. And it was interesting to see where else he appeared in the movie because all we got to see was his speech in the ballroom at his party of the year. I appear multiple times in the museum scenes, but not in the ballroom. I am, however, in the hallway outside the ballroom in the movie's trailer. There is even one scene outside the museum in Rome where they digitally created another copy of me in the red carpet line. The guy is wearing my outfit, but it's not me because I am on the right side of the screen at the booth of the vendor whose shop is destroyed when both Hartley and Booth land on it. They did film me at the red carpet as well, but I was not there when this fall happened, so not quite sure why they made a replica of me. It threw me for a loop because I noticed it first and thought, that looks like me, but it's not me. It's just someone wearing my clothes. And then I found me on the right side of the screen at the vendor booth. My biggest surprise was how easy it was to find myself. In every scene, I just froze the TV and looked through it, knowing what I was wearing and where I was standing when we filmed, even though it was a year ago. No need to read through my copious notes, since as I've noted before, your brain pretty much zeroes in and finds you. I finished day one of four days on The Walking Dead yesterday, three more to go. The only new thing I learned is that creating chaos can be very dangerous. Luckily, I was not wearing wingtips or boots. This time, I did not bring dress shoes or my Blundstone boots because these are both far too painful to have on for 12 hours. I wore my never-before-worn blue suede bucks that I bought online a year ago while filming Red Notice. Anyway, we had to run in big circles to create a chaotic scene. It was fun, but a bit exhausting. Since no one has their moves completely planned out, it's very easy to crash into people or the principal actors. I had only one mishap, or I ran a smack dab into Jan, the woman I was paired with the last time I worked this show. Also, fake cotton candy is disgusting. I think it was actually insulation, that pink stuff you see in the walls of your home, except it was purple. They also had a guy at a real grill grilling real meat. Hot dogs, hamburgers, sliders, and corn. My partner touched it to confirm it was real. It was fully cooked. The charcoal was mixed with some kind of incense, and it was burning the eyes of the people around it, namely Fred, who was stuck selling raffle tickets just in front of it. I am back on this for three days next week, and Monday's call time is even earlier, 4.13 a.m., which means I go to bed at 7.30 and rise at 2.45 a.m. It's Sunday, November 14th, 2021. I attended the official Red Notice background party last night in Sharpsville, Georgia, close to where we actually filmed the movie. Shout out to Terry for hosting this affair and opening up her home to all of us. It was a pretty big crowd of probably 30 to 35 people and some plus ones. Great to see everyone after a year and catch up as I haven't seen most of these people since we wrapped. I arrived right at 7.30 dressed in my official ballroom tuxedo from the movie as well as my masquerade mask and full PPE from the show, including a cloth mask made from a photo of the bottom half of my face. Everyone was surprised about the masquerade mask because although all the men were given their tuxedo, Tuxedos, they accidentally gave me my mask as well. Before I left the house, I took some silly photos of me shooting the chandelier in my bathroom and then realized I have many more chandeliers than I even knew. Bathroom? 
dining room, foyer, front stoop, living room, breakfast room, and kitchen island pendants. RJ is quite the toastmaster and spoke for almost five minutes before we all drank champagne to celebrate. Check out my Instagram for the official toast speech or just search for hashtag red notice background reunion party or simply hashtag the background scoop episode two zero. Terry had put out three small gold eggs to represent the ones in the movie. As a clever ruse, I slipped egg number two into my pocket because in the movie, it's Soto Boje who has egg number two. You'll hear me partway through the speech letting everyone know that egg two has gone missing. But instead of immediately figuring out that Soto Boje, aka me, has it, they immediately blame Zach for some reason. I put it back 30 minutes later. I thought I could easily leave at 10 p.m., but the movie streaming didn't really start until 10.30. Most people were huddled in blankets on camping chairs outside, while just a handful of us were watching simultaneously in the comfort of her heated family room. Special shout out to Anis, who mentioned this podcast and the Ordinary Joe episode. I had completely forgotten that I told him about this months ago and hadn't realized that he's still listening to it. Honest, when I commented about your long post-pandemic hair, what I was actually trying to say was that it looks really good. I wish I could do the same, but I can't figure out how it grew that fast in just the nine months since we had dinner in Decatur. There's something else I noticed at the party. It's fascinating to watch people arrive and see how they greet others. I was in the front foyer, so this was easy for me to do. Some people are huggers, others are not. And during the pandemic, people weren't supposed to touch each other at all. Surprisingly, no one at this party wore a mask, except for the Sanders Detweiler thruple who arrived later. At that point, I put mine back on, and then someone asked me why I did that. I didn't have a good answer and was embarrassed that I had taken it off to begin with. I'm typically not some lemming who is going to follow you off a cliff. Anyway, I watched each person enter the party and greet others. Who did they greet first? Did they hug? Did they shake hands? Did they just say hello? Did they completely ignore someone? I'm not a hugger, but I will hug back if someone hugs me. Sarah gave me a huge hug and that was great. She did some work up in Maine recently where I have a friend who lives in Kennebunkport. But at the same time, I always wonder about people who choose to completely ignore others as if they were not even there. Do they have a spat at some point? Do they just not click? It reminds me of all those Real Housewives episodes where two characters have it out and then subsequently find themselves in the same room somewhere. They either one, ignore each other, two, politely say hello but nothing more, or three, worse, pretend and act like nothing ever happened between them while at least one of them secretly plots revenge. I learned so much from television that helps me make sense of the real world. Reality TV can be much more educational than it first seems. A few other notes. That six shift lesson I gave to Kaylee for the first lady was for naught. They never did the scene. Oh, and my body doubling work on Red Notice never appeared in the movie. Speaking of which, it was interesting to ask other people what they thought of the film. Here's my elevator speech on it. Quote, it was very Bond-like and Mission Impossible with a Ryan Reynolds sense of humor, very polished, high quality, and well done, unquote. You have absolutely no idea how any of these things will turn out until you see them. Even the movie's plot didn't fully make sense to me when you film since you're not told the whole story, just bits and pieces, so you understand the scene you're filming. 
all of which is done completely out of order. The former project manager in me still wants to see a Microsoft project plan for one of these. P.S. I ran into Seth on my way out and he's moving to Atlanta because that's where all the work is. And keep your eyes out for an upcoming Stephen Phillips movie about a child molester. He's trying to get Sebastian to play the lead role. I have this weird thing happen when people tell me stories sometimes and I'll have to ask Grammar Girl if it's just the way they're telling it that confuses me. Halfway through a story about the movie he's making, Stephen says, quote, I'm a child molester, unquote. But the story is so long that by the time he says this, my brain has forgotten that he's telling me about a movie he's making and instead thinks, now wait just a minute, did he just tell me he's a child molester? And reacts with just a tiny bit of shock until it clicks that he's telling me about a character in the movie. Perhaps people should speak in the third person, not the first person when telling stories like this. Does this ever happen to you? I have never ever done this before and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but in the spirit of full transparency, I'll tell you the story of what happened to me this week. There are three bad things you can do once booked. One, call to cancel a booking. Two, not show up after being confirmed. And three, show up but leave early. I did the last one this week. I've told you and myself countless times to never ever schedule two bookings on consecutive days. I had a 3 p.m. call time on Thursday. At 5 p.m., I still hadn't gone through wardrobe or makeup. Plus, they had changed my role without telling me, and that wasn't very nice because not only was it disappointing to me, but it's the only reason I took the job, and now here I was dressed for the wrong part. Then I got my call time for Friday, 4.18 a.m., which meant I had to get up at 3 a.m., which meant I had to go to bed at 7.30 p.m. So there was no way in hell I was going to stay where I was and film until 11 p.m. or midnight, and that's exactly how long the background were there. My friend told me this the next day. I decided I had to leave. I had the guts to do this, but not the guts to find the PA and tell her. So once she had disappeared into the cattle call crowd where we were holding at the Pool Braves Stadium downtown, I left her a note on her laptop. And then I courageously walked out of there, down three flights of stairs, and two blocks to my car. It felt really good to stand up for what I knew was the right thing to do. When I got home, I called Central Casting and left a voicemail. By the way, if you haven't heard, they no longer answer their phone during business hours. You have to leave a voicemail. I don't believe in lying ever, so what I did was tell her the truth but not the whole truth. I said something had come up and that I had to leave immediately. Apologies for having to do this. Sometimes these things just happen and when telling the story to other background actors, they completely understand and tell me they would have done the same thing. That certainly makes me feel better, but I don't want to ever put myself into a situation like this again. It's Friday, November 19th, 2021. I just finished four days on The Walking Dead. 
Friday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. As enjoyable as it is to film this show and hang out with friends, the call times this round were insane. 4.15 a.m. That means I rise at 10 to 3 a.m. or 3 a.m. and try to get on the road by 3.20. That never works. And then if you're 10 minutes late, someone starts texting you to see how close you are or as happened on Friday, an hour after arriving, they were texting me to see if I was almost there. Yeah, actually, I'd say I'm really, really close. Something weird happened with Cleo texting extras casting Atlanta for some reason as she was not at the table when I checked in with Dennis. I won't bore you with all the gory details, and this time is the first time I actually saw the gory details. Here is what I learned. One, I love petting zoos. They are the cutest little goats, bunnies, and a small horse with very short legs. Only the background was allowed to pet the animals, but then it turned out only background who were instructed to do so. Two, the show sends out safety videos every day. In them, a woman known as V, which stands for Vanessa, describes what we'll be filming during the day, and then a safety person talks about their COVID protocols. It's a great way to get an overview of what to expect. They go into a lot of detail about the kids, the animals, the number of background, and the scenes, all of which have crazy numbers attached to them. None of it makes any sense, even when you execute the plan after arriving. Three, I'm typically complaining about the heat, but this time it was freezing in the mid 40s at 4.30 a.m. They handed out hand warmers. Look up hothands.com online to see what I'm talking about. They are little packets with chemicals inside. You shake them and then starve them of oxygen, and in 15 to 30 minutes, they get really hot. It took a while to distribute these Monday and Tuesday. It was just as freezing, but I found I had some of my own in my knapsack from a year ago. On Wednesday, a portly woman came in dressed like a plumber and said she had bad news. We're out of hand warmers. I've gone through 400 in the past two days. We'll have more tomorrow. Well, what the heck? Nobody cares about tomorrow, lady. We're not going to be here. You think we're going to get into time travel machines and come back to today once we get these and somehow rewrite history so that our hands were actually warm? No. And then on our way out, Zach was standing outside handing out hand warmers. It's the classic problem this country is now experiencing. You listen to someone who you think has authority and whom you trust, but it turns out they're either lying or have no idea what they're talking about. For I'm not a wrestling fan at all, but we got to see a match and it was great. It's much more fun to root for your hero than scream at a protest. But of course, I couldn't tell how real the match was because it was three wrestlers pretending to hurt each other, which is what a real wrestling match is all about. So I concluded that even though this was fake from a TV show perspective, it was identical to what you'd see in the real world, if that makes any sense. At one point, one of the guys we were booing looked me in the eye and yelled, you're next. I took it personally and stayed away from him when they said cut. But then I saw him yelling it at another person and realized he had not actually singled me out. My friends noticed that the guy we were rooting for had huge nipples in a skin tag on his thigh the size of a pinky finger. Five, just as enjoyable was throwing stuff at people on stage. I've never done this before. Crumpled up paper travels well. Individual pieces of popcorn do not. They're too light. Plus, it was movie popcorn with dried butter on it, which got on my fingers. I drove home with popcorn hands, similar to Cheeto fingers, but not nearly as bad. They just smelled. At one point, a guy threw a special beer bottle, which broke the first time, but not the second, third, or fourth times. 
Oh my God, it takes forever to shoot these scenes because after every take, someone has to sweep up the mess and give it back to us so we can throw it again. Six, as good as your lunch may be, it's not smart to eat your lunch and then eat someone else's. Since we had breakfast at 4.30, we were eating lunch six hours later at 10.30 a.m., way too early. On the last day, I wolfed down my chicken and pork chop. And then I ate Lily's two pork chops. And then we went to set and ran around for two hours. I felt so sick with all that food sloshing around. It's like swimming right after you eat. And we all know that you're not supposed to do that. How was I supposed to know that acting was like swimming? Seven, given the recent death by gunshot on the movie Rust, this production went out of its way to ensure safety. The handler came out with a gun and announced that its firing mechanism had been disabled. He opened the chamber and spun it around to show us there were no bullets inside. Then he shot it six times above his head into the sky to prove that there was nothing in it. Then he asked, does everyone feel safe? And we all yelled, yes. He did the same thing a few hours later, but this time had some cartridges in the gun, not bullets, not blanks, but something else. He went through the same motions, asked the same question, and we all said yes again. That's when I wondered, what if I had said no? Would they get rid of the gun? No, silly. They'd get rid of me. Eight. And finally, I don't watch the show because it's too gory, but seeing gore in person is quite funny. We watched one of us get equipped with rubber guts and blood, and then a poor walker had to eat the guts again and again. After 30 minutes, the entire shirt was soaked with blood. A day earlier, I had discovered a special effects wagon nearby and looked into a bucket, only to find blood-filled condoms. Yuck. I watched episode 8 of The Wonder Years last night and saw myself and my wife and son all over it. I'm in the gold shirt with the brown sweater vest and pants and super ugly glasses. My sister had emailed me to say how worried she was that she wouldn't be able to see me, but instead the opposite happened. She couldn't not see me. As I was testing down there today for next Tuesday, the woman in line in front of me turned around and I immediately recognized her. She knew my name was DJ, and I was sure I knew hers, but instead my brain spit out Clover wedding scene. And she said yes. My point is that you will run into people you've worked with, so it pays to take notes. I pulled up my phone later to confirm her name is Donna. But when you see people out of context, in different clothing, perhaps without a mask on, it's difficult to place them. I'm not sure who came out on top this time. Does her recalling my name trump me knowing where we met? Sorry, no recap for this episode. Instead, I've included some actual dialogue from this week, so you can hear how silly our conversations can be. So here are me, Lily, and Charity babbling about nothing very important. Enjoy. Are you ready for the Battle of the Ages? It's Tuesday, November 16th. We're yeah. sitting and holding. What time is it? It's like 6.23. This is day day three of four on The Walking Dead. And I can't tell you about the scene, but that's my favorite line so far. You'll see it in a future episode. At the, you hold your finger up at the end when you say that. It, it's, in the, it's, at the, it's at the Founders Day celebration. Oh, are you ready for the Battle of the Ages? recording is that okay
Yeah. Tell your story. <laughs> no, I had this dream that a worm was coming out from my finger. And the worm kept on going, kept on going, kept on going. It was like whitish and very smooshy. And I just felt so disgusted. It was so nasty. And I don't know why. Maybe. That was Lily Klein's story for the morning. And now Charity is going to talk about her dream. So on Friday I had a dream. All I remember is that I was in a building with a lot of people and at some point my mom pointed to my chair and said, there's a snake and there was a snake under me. And then all of a sudden it had slithered into my mouth and all the way down my throat. <laughs> it was probably at least two feet long. And I tried to pull it out by the tail, but it went further in and it was slithering around in my stomach. <laughs> that sounds disgusting, but thank you, Charity, for sharing that with us. <laughs> That's all for this episode. Tune in again for more of the Background Scoop, where I discuss background acting here in Atlanta. Hope you're learning and getting some BG rules of your own. Feel free to reach out with your questions, which I'll try to answer in a future episode, or tell me a story about your own experience, and I may choose to interview you. See the episode notes for how to reach out. And if you like what you've heard, please rate the podcast. Thanks for listening.